The following podcast is a discussion between two experts in their fields of beauty and not meant to be taken as medical advice. Be sure to consult with your doctor if you have any medical inquiries. Hi, this is Dr. Neil Shaw, and you're listening to Masters of Beauty. So I'm super excited about uh, this podcast, which is going to talk about all things scars. And it's going to be through the lens of perhaps one of the leading experts in scars and scars research, and that's Dr. Christopher Zumalin. Dr. Christopher Zumalin, who I've had the pleasure of meeting and knowing for uh, a few years now, is one of the top oculoplastic surgeons in the world. Uh, you think of any A-listers who are out there who who you don't know have had work done, it's probably Dr. Zumalin because he is super stealth with his techniques um, and just really creates natural results. One of his secrets has been uh, the use of this scar gel, which is called uh, Skin Uva. And what we're going to find out is uh, some backgrounds on scars, some backgrounds on how the best management of scars, when to use a scar gel, just scars in general, where is the worst area for scars. We're going to talk all things scars and how to manage scars. Dr. Zumalin is making an interesting journey. He's a Stanford graduate. He did some fellowship out at NYU. That's where I met him. And then he's established himself as one of the leading doctors in, in the realm of plastic surgery and specifically oculoplastic surgery out in Beverly Hills. It's interesting. His background in skin is interesting because his dad is a scientist. So he had this passion for science and medicine all kind of derived into his own skincare brand, which has developed with a few interesting products, including Skin Uva. So guys, I am super pleased to be speaking today with a worldwide expert in so many different fields. And uh, that's going to include, aside from oculoplastics, it's going to be scars and skincare. Dr. Zumalin is super talented. He is out in Beverly Hills. Um, he's been trained throughout the world, and that includes NYU. So he's been in uh, New York, Beverly Hills, all over. And he's kind of not just your regular doctor who just sort of does what everyone else does. He looks at problems and he, you know, kind of figures out solutions for that. So I always like doctors who think outside the box and who come up with solutions that so many of us have been plagued with and can kind of look at that. And one of the products we're going to talk about is he's the innovator, CEO of Skin Uber Scar and Skin Uber Bright. Both of these are not just things he's developed. He's actually studied them and found out that they have worked in, you know, studies to show to be significantly better. So we're going to pick his mind. We have a chance to dive into it. We're going to get in the nuances of first Skin Uva, scars, all these things. And these are just for patients, surgeons, anyone involved who can find out about Skin Uva. So my first question for you, and do you want me to call you, I, I know uh, Dr. Zumal and all things, I'm going to call you Dr. Chris Zumal if that's okay. Whatever you're comfortable with, Dr. Shaw. <laughs> do you, you, you can, <laughs> okay, okay, so Dr. Zumalin. Still so professional, you can call me Chris, you can call me uh, whatever you're, just as you know me. Okay, yeah, yeah, so, okay, so I'll, I'll go with Chris because that's, that's all I know, otherwise I feel like a little too formal. Okay, so first of all, let's talk about Skinuva. You know, it's, it's a product I use in my practice. It's a game changer, you know, for my patients. But how did you come up with Skinuva? What made you formulate this product? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me on your podcast. You know, I don't get to see it often, but I do follow you on Instagram and the work you do and, and 
just very impressed with the talent that you bring out to Chicago. And it's an honor to be here and just kind of talking about uh, what I love, you know, besides surgery is developing products and products that can help us help our patients. Um, I uh, initially thought about Skinuvo when I was during my fellowship at New York, which is kind of where you and I got to know each other. You know, you met uh, in, through my brother, who was a uh, ENT resident and they're going into facial plastics. And uh, during my time at NYU is where I started uh, hearing about silicone cream for post scars, and you know, I was I was intrigued, and I started using it for some of my blepharoplasty procedures and my other procedures I was doing on the face at that time during my training. And I saw that the benefits of silicone was there and that there was the evidence to back it up. And I, and I went back to uh, back home. I, I, I'm from Los Angeles and I ended up going back home to start my own private practice in ocular plastics in Beverly Hills. I figured there was a shortage of plastic surgeons in Beverly Hills. And that's where I ended up <laughs> starting my practice. <laughs> I figured it's late in the day to make a joke, but I think I had to. Uh, I wanted to. I wanted to be the best ocular plastic surgeon, and I uh, knew my home was back in Beverly. And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna raise my hand and say that um, you are probably the best oculoplastic. I mean, I know I've sent a few patients your way who've gone across the country to see you and and see your talent. And uh, I mean, nothing but uh, probably the most amazing work I've ever seen for oculoplastics. Oh, I I appreciate it. You know, I, I I learn I learn every day. I'm I'm always learning. You know, I want I strive to be the best. It's, it's a, it's, a, it's a hunger for desire we have. And, and while I was establishing myself and, 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 you know, and, and becoming more familiar with running a practice and seeing patients and, and kind of growing that, that practice, I started to think of ways that I can help improve my patient care. And, and I, I started purchasing one of the medical grade uh, silicone creams back then. And I realized that it was so expensive to buy like a one ounce and it was just essentially, you know, I, I had another product uh, rep that was knocking on my door for a competitor to have me try out their silicone cream. And it was essentially, they were just fighting over a, a, a treatment that was using the same base of silicone cream. And I, a light bulb went off and, you know, I was trained at Stanford and as a resident, uh, my department always teach us and encourage the residents to think outside the box. You know, how can you make uh, this product, this device, this treatment modality better? What can you offer your patients that's better than the current market? And uh, and that's where a light bulb went off. And, said, and, and being that I've done research, through, just like you have, and we have that interest in research, and you appreciate that because you're like that too, and intuitive and you think outside the box. I, I realize that there's other ingredients in addition to silicone cream, that could potentially work. You know, I remember when I was a kid and I got sunburned. My mother literally had an aloe vera plant. She broke it in half and said, hey, why don't you apply it on your skin? And lo and behold, it helped my burn. So there's evidence of a lot of ingredients besides silicone cream that can help improve scarring. I was just, I don't know, I was, I was like curious and also like dumbfounded as to why these ingredients weren't really integrated into um, a, a scar cream. And I was surprised. So I looked more into it and I started developing a list of about 20 or so ingredients that could work, help improve wounds, uh, uh, scars. Uh, one of them was for sure silicone cream. Silicone cream is a, is a very, very effective uh, um, ingredient that helps hydrate the wound. You want to keep that scar moist, hydrated. Uh, you want to keep it kind of barricaded from the air so it doesn't dry out. Um, and you also, uh, there's these other ingredients that I started stumbling upon and and some of them were also growth factors 
but there's these synthetic or you know, whatever based growth factors you have that play a role in, in scarring. So I was very curious. And I started looking into these ingredients and I began to formulate my earlier versions of a product uh, with aloe vera, Centella Asiatica, which is an Asian herbal product from the Asian continent, which has been profound evidence to show that it helps improve scars and burns and open like non-healing ulcers. Uh, vitamin C, which is a powerful ingredient. And and I was curious why vitamin C wasn't included in a scar cream product before. And, and the reason to it is it's very unstable, very difficult to work with. It's, uh, there's so many different forms and it's just hard to blend it in with these other ingredients that I'm mentioning to you to keep it stable. And that was a challenge with vitamin C. Uh, hyaluronic acid, which is just really a lot of ample evidence of how it helps like silicone keep that scar moist. And um, in addition to it are these, these growth factors. And so I started diving deep in, deeper into developing this product. I realized that you know making a product, silicone-based product with growth factors and these other ingredients is not easy. There's so much instability. There's so much difficulty acquiring these ingredients. So that was in 2000. 15 and 16, and it took me a couple of years to really formulate this product and really integrate these ingredients that I felt were really important in managing scars and really helping improve a scar. And each ingredient has a purpose. Every ingredient I've included has a purpose. They're all backed by medical data, medical literature. But I, for instance, cherry picked these ingredients, uh, this, uh, these synthetic growth factors. I didn't want to incorporate human based growth factors. I felt that there was some controversy with human based growth factors. I wanted to integrate a product that had safe. Uh, controversial free products uh, backed by data and synthetic growth factors were the type of growth factors I wanted to use. So uh, that's the impetus of how I and why I developed Skinuba. And I wanted to back it by data, develop this product, do some ample data studies to show it's safe and effective, and, and really market it to my colleagues at a price that's very uh, competitive, reasonable, affordable, whatever the word is, that makes sense. That makes sense by providing them the most advanced clinically proven product for their patients. And so uh, we're now in our, almost our third, three and a half years, and it's been an amazing ride. And the company's growing, and it's really exciting to see this product take off, and now we're developing other products. So, so, really so you mentioned fantastic. a product earlier. I, I want to dive into the weeds a little bit here, so just because there's some things that, you know, kind of we're going to jump into things. What was the name of the Asian skincare product um, you, you, you investigated in the beginning? What was that called? Centella Asiatica. I have not heard of that. Centella, Centella Asiatica is also, also known as Gotu Cola, G-O-T-U, uh, K-O-L-A. It's an herbal, it's an herbal ingredient. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's derived from the Centella Asiatica plant, and it's originated, originated in the Asian continent. And if you go on PubMed, you'll see how much data there is on this ingredient that it helps in diabetic uh, foot wounds, um, sunburns, scarring, and uh, it's it's well documented as an ingredient, and so do you know how that works? Uh, that product off the top of your head, I don't. I have no idea. I've never heard of this product. So it's not a product. It's an ingredient. Ingredient. It's yeah. A, it's, it's an ingredient. So the way there's multifold. Uh, Centella asiatica it works multifold. It helps reduce vascularity of a scar. It helps to improve the redness of a scar. It helps in some 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 direct and indirect ways of restructuring collagen as well. Uh, it also helps in promoting um, uh, proper uh, neogenesis as well and and, regener and, and uh, regression of vascularity, and so allowing for a wound to heal and then also to appropriately regress. It's arguably like works too well, so you gotta make sure that you, know, you use it in the right concentration. Uh, and, uh, but it's, 
it's it's a wonderful ingredient that I I, I definitely was was my top 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 five ingredients that I wanted to include in Skinuba. That's interesting because so you mentioned one of the things that I I see in scars. If I look at scars that I don't like. Um, one component I'll note, and we'll kind of talk about what makes a scar favorable, not favorable, and things of that nature. One of the things I'll notice is that sometimes around the scar, you'll see that redness along it. You'll see those extra blood vessels. What are the things you're looking for a scar? Like when you look at a scar, and just in general, this doesn't have to involve skin uva, but just what makes a scar um, as a surgeon like as favorable as possible for, the, for those viewers out there? It's a great question. I mean, everyone heals differently, first of all. Everyone heals differently when it comes to postoperatively, and you mentioned something about redness, vascularity. So initially, uh, when you see an incision, and I will see, you know, you know, five to ten patients a week that I, you know, just recently operated on, I'm looking at their incisions, and they're all different. Their patients are different age, patients have different ethnicities, patients have different lifestyle all have different characteristics of how a scar should heal but in general the scar has some degree whether it's mild or moderate uh findings of vascularity where it's red where there's a lot of blood flow going in all scars incisions will have neoangenesis they'll have new uh, blood supply going into the wound why well because your own body uh, those blood vessels are essentially the new highway system for all your own cytokine growth factors that will be sending messengers to your new incision to heal. So some people have a more robust response with these uh, new blood vessels. They just proliferate more than others. And it could be their age. Younger people tend to have more of that response than the older people. Younger people tend to respond more to such stimuli, for instance. And so certain ethnicities can be more prone to increased vascularity response or people that are more out in the sun can be more responding to this. There's so many different characteristics, but essentially though, scars also have this redness to some degree. They also have pigmentation. Some people tend to have uh, a pretty um, mild hyperpigmentation response, but others have more of a prominent hyperpigmentation, which we call post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation or PIH. That, that is fairly present in myself. Like, if I get any sort of incision made or any procedure, even a pimple, I will hyperpigment tremendously. And it will eventually calm down. But that's, that's, yeah, that's characteristic for a lot of people with darker skin. Uh, and also people with Asian descent can tend to hyperpigment more. So those are two things that I see in scars to some degree. Uh, thickness, the thickness of a scar is also important, you know, like how raised it is. And this, this certainly depends on the location. Scars on the face may not be as thickened as the chest, but scars on the nose will thicken more than scars on the eyelid, just because the tissue is thicker. And also the pliability is how when you feel a scar. So you mentioned redness. Well, you can have, you can have a, a fairly prominent vascular response, but the, but the incision is, the scar is very flat. So thickness is not an issue. Or it can be vice versa where scar is very thickened, it's almost becoming a little bit um, hypertrophic, and the vascular response is minimal. So it doesn't have to be all or none. They're all very different variabilities, so characteristic findings. What I just described to you are four things, vascularity, hyperpigmentation, the thickness of a scar, and its pliability. That, those are the characteristics that we grade using the Vancouver Scar Study Scale. So it's a fairly well-documented scar study scale, and that's what I use in my studies when it comes to evaluating scars. And you have a grading scale, and, and uh, a lot of these can be done through digitally and remotely. When I do a lot of my studies, I'll have independent evaluators review them and grade them. Obviously, you can't grade one of the four 
variables, which is the feel of the scar that has to be done in person, but the other three you can't. So then, uh, just to briefly summarize, I mean, as the scar heals, you should have that redness go away. You know, it, it's essentially a regression of the vascular vasculature that should regress with time. That scar should uh, have that redness essentially regress, but not all do. And some people may have that vascularity for months, even years afterward, and that that's persistent, and that that's one of the reasons why I included a lot of my ingredients to help with the regression of these blood supply, this 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 blood this this vascularity that you don't need anymore because the, the skin is healed, incision is healed, so, so, matured. Yeah, so so that's uh you know that and, and for the viewers listeners out there, it's it's the first phase of scar healing, which is the inflammatory phase, which normal, uh, but when it goes beyond normal, that's when you're going to have that. Uh, that hypernormal response. I always tell my mm-hmm. patients it's um, it, it's kind of counterintuitive. Who do you think would heal better, granddaughter, you know, daughter or grandmother? And surprisingly, it's grandmother. I think heals better than the granddaughter because they're going to have that hyper yeah. hyper response. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's studies have supported that. You know, that 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 uh, younger younger people will heal more aggressively. So maybe the intact structure of the collagen, the collagen structure may be a lot better aligned in a, in a younger person long term, but they, they may have a more profound hypertrophic response earlier on. Someone that's much older may not have as strong of a collagen type 1, type 3 response as a younger person, but they will not have that profound hypertrophic response, that incision or that scar just heals better. But in terms of strength and rigidity, I'm sure the younger person's incision will have a much more normal-looking structure, like histologically. But on the surface, it may be a lot more of a aggressive response. So, so kind of to recap over here, we have the three phases of scar healing. We have the inflammation, proliferation, remodeling. And your product, um, Skin Uva, that you developed, it's it's controlling that over-vigorous inflammatory response, which is what a lot of people will see with their scars. And that's going to be one of the products you mentioned earlier, which is, I, I can't even say it, so you'll have to do that for me because I, I'm not familiar. It's a sciatic, it's a, what is it? Centella asiatica. Okay, I have to see it. I'm like, my auditory yeah. knowledge, <laughs> if you tell me something, I can't pick it up, but if you, uh, if I see it, I can remember it. That's just what kind of the way, I, how I, my, my brain works, which is, it's just good, but, or bad. <laughs> so, um, um, so that's going to be one of those key inflammatory. If you have my, yeah, it's, it's right there in the third. Oh, I see it now. Third, third line up on the left. There you go. I got it. Thank you so much. Okay. So that's going to be one of those ingredients and, um, that's going to be, um, huge for the scar for that red spot. And that's why I'm going to show you a case example where I've used your product and, um, I want to see your reaction to this. So this is going to be super fun, but, oh. Um, right. And where I've struggled before I've used Skinuva. So this is kind of, um, uh, perhaps that's been one of the areas I've, I've been missing, I think. Um, so with the inflammatory response, any other ingredients in the inflammatory response we should, we should talk about before we move on to the other phases of scar yeah. healing? Yeah, I, I think that we haven't really touched a lot upon the growth factors. And, and that's like a really, really cool part of Skinuva. And that, that's, I think, what kind of put, put us on that map as a reputable company where we actually are, I'd say, one of the only ones that I'm aware of that uh, specifically we selected uh, synthetic growth factors that 
play a role in um, the, solu- the the problem that we're trying to help improve, right? So it's a solution-based formulation. And uh, in, in Skinuba Scar, we've uh, I've, I've identified three three growth factors that play a role in the wound modulation process. Meaning that uh, I didn't. Did you do any rotations in med school? Uh, or I don't know, an intern where you were um, when you did. Uh, uh, pediatric uh, surgery or intrauterine surgery with uh, fertility rotation or in the pediatric surgery we actually did like spina bifida work um, I didn't but did you have any exposure to that? Uh, no I, I did a so, pediatric ENT but not necessarily like the spina bifida aspect of that yeah I didn't either and and, uh, and so uh, going into my research first can do a scar and using, trying to identify ingredients I was really curious about growth factors and their role and then uh, fetuses don't uh, scar. Okay, so uh, essentially, if you uh, see a spina bifida incision uh, years out from when a fetus had a procedure done in, in, in utero, that incision is barely perceptible because the type of response the scars have or the incision has in the womb is much different than outside the womb. And the reason is that the, the cellular response, the, the response that your incision has in utero elicits a very different array of growth factors than we do. And one of them is transforming growth factor beta-3 to subunit. And that is found in very high concentrations in fetal scar tissue. Whereas in, in, in scar tissue in adults, you don't see that or anyone outside the utero. That it's the complete opposite. It's a very low response of TGF beta-3 and a very high response of its counter subunit TGF beta-1. Whereas fetal intrauterine scar tissue has a very high B3 as a low B1. But adult scar tissue has a very high B1 and a very high B3, and a very high B1 and a very low B3. Hmm. So it's the difference. So playing on that more, I identified a couple other ingredients that are proprietary growth factors. We're happy as a company to expose TGF beta 3 because I think the story is beautiful. There's a reason why we included that. There's a couple other growth factors that have a similar sort of um, uh, rationale why we included it, and 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 these. These three growth factors help improve inflammation. They help improve redness. They help improve pigmentation. They help improve better collagen structure as well. And and they help improve the thickness of a scar and allow for the healing to be more optimal. So that's the reason why we included these uh, synthetic growth factors. Again, they work on the skin. These don't go into your cellular structure. This is not a medical device or a medical drug. It's a topical skincare product. But we wanted to integrate these sort of ingredients along the skin surface to see if it would, these ingredients would actually work better in silicone cream. And we've done data that so we did a large multi-center trial. We actually show that our product works better in silicone cream. So something is working, whether it's the growth factors, whether it's the centella asiatica, whether it's the aloe, I won't be able to tell you which one it is, or the vitamin C, but I'm very confident that all of these play a little bit of a nice role in kind of getting what we have as a result with this product. So do you think um, on those three phases of growth factors that we talked about as, as wound healing, I'm sorry, about inflammation, proliferation, and maturation or remodeling, do you think the growth factors are working, it sounds like a little bit on the inflammatory response and changing or modulating that way that's going to work with the TGF uh, beta 3, but you think it's also on the proliferation and maturation or you think it's a little bit on all three layers or just co- uh, on three phases well, or? All right. So we're going to really break it down from a scientific uh, way without kind of throwing losing your readers on this. Uh, so we generally recommend using Skinuba Scar about. Uh, I generally recommend using it about uh, a week after the sutures are removed. 
right? So it's about two weeks off. Some people use it earlier, some people, you know, but I'll, for the purposes of where we like to use this product, it's best to use it about a week after the sutures are removed. So technically in that time frame, you're in the end of the proliferative phase, beginning of maturation, right? So the inflammatory phase actually is kind of done, right? The inflammatory phase has already been done. It's been like the first few days. You got the scab now, you got the bleeding stopped, hemostasis, and now, so, so technically all products start to, because I, I don't, I don't want, I, I feel like our body needs its time to heal. I think it needs its own way to heal. You don't want to be putting in these other, you know, these ingredients uh, in the beginning besides just keeping that area moist, but also uh, having a topical antibiotic. So I recommend like erythromycin ointment for like 10 days or 14 days and then take, you know, then start skin new bug. So it's actually more that I think it helps in the proliferative phase where sometimes you're proliferating too much and you're, you're essentially uh, having too much of a vascular sort of response. It starts to help, you know, improve that and try to help and improve the appearance of the redness. And I think that helps in the, in the proliferative phase. And the maturation is where you start getting that, um, uh, contraction, sometimes dryness, sometimes pain, you know, from, a, from an incision as it heals. And hydration, hydration, hydration is so key, right? You want to keep it hydrated, but also during that phase is where you get that persistent redness, you get that persistent pigmentation, but you also start getting that potential contractures that can occur, not contractures, but persist, uh, that's where the hypertrophic response happens. The maximum scar tissue is, what was what were we taught, about two weeks out? Yeah. You start to see the maximum scar tissue occur. So that's why I really want to do on, have the patient start massaging it to help improve that maximum scar tissue and try to help improve that, try to help decrease that, help decrease that hypertrophic response. It's normal to have a cicatricial response. It's normal for a scar to be a little bit red, normal for it to be a little pigmented, but you don't want it to be painful and tight and, and raised abnormally. That's where it starts to become hypertrophic. Well, let's control that. And that's in that proliferative to maturation phase that you start to really see the benefit of a, of a scar cream. So, so we talked about the phases of wound healing. Let's talk about this a little bit in detail. Uh, so there's three phases of wound healing that are generally accepted that all scars and wounds need to undergo. The first phase is called the inflammatory phase. And as Dr. Zumelman indicated, this phase begins when the wound develops and it lasts about four to six days. It's normal during this process to have redness, erythema, inflammation. And he recommends that this process go uninhibited. The second phase of wound healing is called the proliferative phase, and this lasts for the first four to 24 days, and that's where granulation tissue is gonna fill in uh, the wound or help the scar heal, and this is where little cells called fibroblasts lay in the collagen. And then the final phase of healing is called the maturation phase, and this can last anywhere from 21 days to about a year to two years. Uh, it's generally accepted that scars are completely healed at around one year, uh, although, uh, it may take longer in some cases. For the TGF beta three, um, what what ingredients specifically did you uh, incorporate that to kind of um, what growth factors did you put in there to kind of create that response, the TGF beta three response? Well, the the TGF beta three is one of the growth factors. So you actually have that physically in the product. Yes. Oh wow, that's amazing because that's yes. So. He's like, did you not listen to the beginning part of this whole? No, no, I, I thought you had a product that would stimulate that in your own body, but you actually put TGF beta three. Wow, it's it's 
it's a growth factor. It's a synthetic growth factor that we were able to work with our, our company and uh, we, so, we basically utilize it and we incorporate it into our product. That's amazing. Actually, I, I did not know. I thought you, you elicited a response. Okay, so so that's that's cool. Okay. <laughs> She's like, that's the whole product. No, I knew there was growth factors. I didn't realize. I thought it was kind of like your body would make the growth factors in response to it, but I didn't realize you actually put the growth factors in there. So that's, wow. Well, all right. So so that's, you know, that's something we haven't studied is whether our TGF beta 3 would actually stimulate your own TGF beta 3. Um, we haven't really studied that, you know, but certainly I'll tell you though, I'll tell you something really cool, is that we did a pilot study where we included five patients that had tummy tucks, all seen a month out from their tummy tuck. And what we ended up doing is an IRD approved study where we ended up uh, having them use Scanuba scar on a third of their tummy tuck. A third of their tummy tuck, we provided them a regular silicone cream, just silicone. And the other third, we, we said, do not use anything and come back and see us in a month. So lo and behold, they came back in a month. We already knew the data would show from our previous experience that that side treated with Scanuva would look a lot better than the other two. And what we ended up doing was we actually did uh, skin punch biopsies. We did two two millimeter skin skin punch biopsies of both the areas. One treated with Scanuva, one with regular silicone cream, one with nothing. And then we did a fourth site just near the tummy tuck, right below the incision. So an area that's not affected by surgery. And, and this is published. It was published in uh, Scars, Burns, and Healing. Uh, three years ago, we published this data. And what we sh- were able to see from these five patients in our, in our pilot study that was really fascinating, that their, their mRNA expression it actually differed between all three, and that the mRNA that was expressed in that punch biopsy showed a more favorable collagen type 1, type 2 response, a more favorable um, fibroblastic response, Basically, all the key factors that you want in a good healing scar, when you hit it with Scanuva scar, more so than silicone cream, more so than silicone cream, but but the one that was not treated, all the way down. And then just to be a control, the mRNA in in that fourth specimen that had no incision had zero response to all these markers that you see in a scar. So it was legit. Now, it's only five patients, and you can argue and say it's a pilot, I mean, but it's a pilot study, and we were able to clinic, show that the clinical indicators were very strong to support that from a deep cellular level that the scar was healing better. Yeah. Um, th- this is one of the coolest things. So, yeah, I think the product, it seems like it's um, the thing I'm getting most excited about is the long term, especially management. We're seeing so many patients virtually and in different areas. And what I used to do with my patients is I would have them come back, and we'll talk about some of these different techniques I used to use with them. Um, and, um, I used to talk about dermabrading them or needling them or lasering them. And, um, I don't know. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on those as a treatment versus, um, not necessarily versus, cause I think it, as, as an adjunct to Skinuva, do you, do you like that with it? Or you feel like it's not, uh, not your favorite treatment? So any adjuncts you'd recommend with Skinuva to other surgeons who are using it? I, I think you hit on a nail. I mean, you, the scar, look, at the end of the day, a scar cream is not an all-end for all scars, right? So I generally will have patients use skin but All my patients, it's part of the package. You're getting it. You know, thank you for trusting me as your doctor. I'm going to give you my product, but also happens to be the most advanced scar cream, in my opinion, in the market based on the data. You're going to use that twice a day for a minimum of three to six months. So it doesn't, it, it, with by integrating Scanuva in my patients, I've found out that I've had to cut the need for doing additional treatments by half. 
So I used to microneedle a lot of my scars. I used to inject 5-FU Kenalog in a lot of my patients. A lot of my colleagues say, you're crazy. Why are you injecting so many? Uh, and, and ultimately, uh, it's, it, when you run a cosmetic practice, the incision is what patients see and they complain about. And they're, when they're flying to see you, you know what I mean, you're nodding your head, you see that. Uh, because they were, when they're coming to see you, they want that their incision to heal as best as possible. And modulating the wound works tremendously well. But having Skinuva on board has cut that need by half. I don't need to inject as many people. I don't need to microneedle as much people anymore. Uh, I still do, uh, but not as much. So it's reduced the need for me to do additional treatments because scar heals so much better. You know where I noticed it for for me, um, one of the areas of tension I put is on a facelift behind the ear. And I wouldn't see a hypertrophic response there right away, but typically um, it's around the four week to six week mark where um, I noticed that if they're treated, Again, this is this is me speaking anecdotally, not with sort sort of study like that. But I know if they're treated there, they tend to have again behind the ear. They tend to get red without treatment. They tend the scar tend to get thicker. Again, it starts having that abnormal response. But again, there's going to be some tension there, um, uh, just in general. And then when they're treated there, when they're treated with the skin uva, it, it's less interventions, less injections, less pain, less discomfort. It's more of a normal thing. And then that that fourth characteristic that we we kind of hinted on but didn't really go into the pliability that's kind of one of those things I don't want to underestimate because it's such a big difference when you can feel a scar versus when it feels like your normal tissue. Patients, it's so big, at least in this this facelift scars, I'm not sure, other areas, of course, too, but it's such a big thing. Absolutely. And that's one of the, you know, when we were doing our clinical trial, we noticed that that redness was a really interesting thing in patients that had facelifts. And then you can see that sort of redness, that prominent behind the ear, go away so much quicker than just the use of regular silicone cream. But yeah, I mean, that's one of the first things I noticed. And pigmentation, our product actually has vitamin C and along with growth factors that really help with pigmentation, which which is a big issue with scarring. So, you know, it's, it's great to have that these products on board. But, you know, everyone has, every ingredient has its own reason, its own story why we included it. Now, I, I think it's important for everyone to know that Skinuva is not a substitute for a good surgeon. Like, you know, if it's part of it is like, you know, we kind of were talking about earlier, like the qualities of a scar. So if you're someone, you're advising a young surgeon, I, you have surgeons observe you from all over the world. Um, what would you advise a surgeon? Say, hey, I want to make the best scar possible. I want to make this scar on the middle of the face. Uh, that, that, it, we're both, that's our area that we're comfortable within. Um, what would you advise a surgeon? How, how should they close this scar? What should they do to kind of minimize the scar? Because if you make a poor scar, it's going to be way harder to treat after, I think. Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors. One is, you know, making sure that you're, you're a surgeon that has experience doing this procedure, right? So you have adequate training or adequate experience and you feel comfortable repairing this, whether it's a, uh, uh, a blepharoplasty incision or facelift or Mohs reconstruction. Ultimately, you want to make sure the wound is clean, that the edges are uh, adequately aligned without any minimal tension. And you have to decide whether you're going to be closing just with a superficial skin closure or if you're going to be doing a layered closure. You want to make sure the tension is reduced. So if you have a forehead laceration, uh, which I had many years ago from surfing, I, I, I had a surfboard <laughs> in my forehead. and That's a California problem. Yeah, one of my buddies helped me out. He was he was a resident, and I called him. Nobody else was picking up their phone. So he he came over and uh, and then he clear, irrigated the wound. There was no there was minimal tension because I wasn't missing any skin. All right, but uh, uh, you know, dermal closures were done to minimize tension with an absorbable suture. I believe it was a, probably a five O PDS, and then skin skin closure was done with with a very clean inner 
future like a 6-0 proline, I believe. So they'll stay in place for a week. So uh, wound closure, the type of sutures you, you, you choose. So if, let's say, we didn't do dermal closure, it was just skin closure, that would probably lead to more of a dehiscence, a widened scar, right? So that we solve that. Two, the type of suture. Uh, you know, PDS can be inflammatory. I, I did have some inflammatory nodule, which I had to put some steroids in when my colleagues put afterward. That's fairly normal. They should have to be aware about that. Um, it didn't spit out. Three is uh, remove dissolvable versus non-dissolvable sutures. You know, I, I, I rarely use dissolvable sutures because they incite a lot of inflammation, a lot of redness in that area and prolonged healing. Sometimes you have no choice and you have to use those sutures. So I try to, I, my, my bless always I use removable sutures because you want to minimize inflammation. You want to minimize that redness. You want to minimize those, uh, those um, sort of like uh, uh, penetration marks that you'll see. Even subciliary bluffs. I'm sorry. Even subciliary, uh, sub so below lower bluffs, you'll use observable, um, non-observable sutures. Uh, subcil, I use a six O proline. Really? I'll just take it out. Yeah, but sometimes I'll do a six O fast, and the patient's very difficult for me to work with, and I'll just take it out in like six days, and that it doesn't really have a lot of inflammation because I take it out quick. Yeah. Um, what do you use for subcil? Uh, I use six O fast. But again, I, I do get a little inflammation on, on, this, on the corners sometimes and... Normal, normal. And that's because it incites some inflammation. Most, I'm like 50-50 when it comes to the lowers, but it's hard, you know, but I still take them out. So even if I do six so fast, Neil, I will take them out under a spot lens because I don't want to keep them in there. So I'll pull them out. So we mentioned absorbable versus non-absorbable, also known as permanent versus temporary sutures. So let's talk about those. A permanent stitch, which is also non-absorbable, has to be removed. One of the benefits of this type of stitch is that it creates less inflammation. An absorbable stitch or a temporary stitch, um, your body will absorb it. The problem is as your body's absorbing the stitch, in some cases it can create inflammation. So in some cases it's more beneficial to have an absorbable stitch. In some cases it's more beneficial to have a non-absorbable stitch. I'm going to mention something controversial. You know the deep layer stitches? I find that they can create a lot of inflammation. Uh, personally, that, that part, and I, I know it's important to put them, but I've been going a little further away from the PDS stitches because I think that you know it's, it's a tough stitch that it seems to work its way out, especially along the nose and deeper through here. So I view it as a deep stitch, but like near the dermis, sometimes I'll go with something like either a monocryl or a vicryl just because I've had... Maybe it's bad luck or bad patient things, but um, that's been my, my take on that. Your thoughts? Well, I, I, I cannot argue with it at all, man. Actually, when I do my brow lifts, I use pretty much monochrome because I, I have less issues of, of that. So I'm, I, I was just kind of saying PDS as so kind of like a, a monofilament that's dissolvable. I prefer monochrome. Uh, if I want a little more tension, I'll go deeper with the PDS. PDS, I do have, I, if I do PDS, uh, deep thermal, it has to be deep thermal. It won't, it won't be rubbing it close to the skin. Do you, you know, so. Do you think, um, and we're just talking, do you think it matters if you do, um, you know, vertical mattress versus this, or just kind of, it's all kind of avoiding tension. It's the same physiologic response that, uh, you know, some patients will do, uh, you know, subcuticular versus vertical mattress versus, you know, locking suture. I think to me, it doesn't really matter. This is my take on this. It doesn't really matter what you do as long as you don't put tension. You squeeze on the oxygen supply. You, you sort of uh, avoid that tension. It's. It, but your thoughts on that? Do you think there's a one type of suturing technique? There's no study that supports 
uh, for instance, uh, upper lip for blacks. There's no study, well, there's actually one fairly, fairly acceptable study with the ENT literature that actually showed that the best wounds that uh, were the ones that were done with a running and was interrupted medially and laterally. It was a running stitch. The subcuticular, as you figure, would be best with not. And, and I actually, in my practice, use a running most of the time with interrupted based on that study and my experience. I, I think subcuticular initially look better, but long-term, I find that the running feels better. So uh, vertical, I used to do verticals more so in horizontals with my direct lateral brows, especially horizontal running, horizontal running mattress. I, I, I haven't really, you know, I went back to running. I find that uh, adequately good closure, with, you know, not too much of a super high tension, like you mentioned, but beautiful closure with sparse interrupted medially, centrally, and laterally feels beautiful. And, and one thing that's interesting about the mechanics of a scar and, and the suture that you use, if you look at a shirt, you rarely see a shirt with interrupted sutures. You know what I mean? Usually it's a running stitch. And there's something yeah. about the the physics and the integrity when you have one suture that's kind of holding things together. Um, I, I think it does provide some sort of uh, a physical mechanical advantage versus single sutures. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but that's that's kind of one of those observations I made. I think you're on it. You're distributing that tension. It's kind of like this sort of workhorse that's distributing it throughout that whole area, right? Rather than interrupted, it, it's kind of a single horse doing its own thing. It's like you have a team now that's working together along that decision. I agree. So I, I like running for that reason. Um, skin uva around the eyes. Can you put it on upper bluff scars? Let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's ophthalmic tested. We did a a special test you do for skincare products and it's safe but really I mean it's, there's no issues you may have a little bit of irritation just some artificial tears and just take it out if it goes in your eyes I have used skin nuba scar probably just my own uh, 1500 patients oh my gosh. zero issues you know I mean uh, I just I'm gently put on the upper lid close your eyes and they're good and then Gently massage, don't put a huge amount, put a small light amount, and it's very tolerable. And again, it goes in your eyes, it may be a little irritated, just like any other moisturizer gets in your eyes. Not worse. Uh, that's amazing. It's, it's good to know that your oculoplastic, I'm going to emphasize the ocular background here. I mean, if you say it's yeah. safe, I mean, um, that that's basically going to be yeah. Trump anyone else out there, right? Uh, <laughs> no, it worked out great. It works great. I mean, I, I, it's a dream to develop a product like this. And it's, and you have your patients use it, honestly. It's, it's, and, then, and then have colleagues like you use it and invite me to talk about it. It's, 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 it's awesome. So, so let's talk about the best way to apply it. So someone has their incision. Do they apply this with the, it sounds like a basic question. Do they apply it with a tube? Do they apply it with a Q-tip? Do they apply it with their finger? Um, what's, your, what's your recommended way? Do they apply it after they moisturize, after they shower, before they shower, before they wash their face? Like, what's your your best way of applying this? And if you had the best patient out there, what would they, and how long do they use it for? If someone said, I want the best scar possible, I'm gonna first pick the best surgeon possible. After I see this doctor, we'll, we'll call this doctor, Dr. Z or Dr. S, either one, no, I'm just trying. <laughs> I'm just trying. And then- uh, Why not? No. Why not? Okay, and then after they see them, when when do they start? How often do they use it? How do they apply? Yeah, I think, you know, the goal is to design a product that lasts like 12 hours, right? To create some sort of barrier effect. And so that's the beauty of the silicone. It gives you that, that, that ability to do that. So a light pump uh, for that area that, that you're willing to have it done. So I will 
show you here. So lucky day, we have some Canuba. <laughs> so generally, this is a new tube. Okay, so this is a pretty big airless pump, but you can actually get an appreciate, a lot can come out with one small, like a third of a pump. So this is more than enough for one eyelid. This could be for the back of an ear, okay? Uh, this this would be, for back of an ear, you probably want something like this, like almost a half a pump. That's a good amount, all right? So you'll put it, let's just say I'm now at the back of the ear, and the way you, you don't want to go super hard like this, but you want to do a nice, gentle massage. And in the beginning, I tell my patients, don't go too hard, but don't tap it. Don't use a Q-tip. Wash your hands with soap and water. Wash the area, tap it dry with a towel. Use some soap to clean off the area, no problem. Don't be too aggressive and scrubbing initially because it's tender, it hurts. You just want to gently put it on, but you don't want to dab it like this. You want to massage it gently, get that product into the incision, around it, and obviously you're visualizing kind of like a barrier effect. And you may want to go side to side, up and down, and even circular later on as you get more comfortable with it. I generally see my patients two, three weeks after the, their initial post-op week one visit, and then I will look at them. Generally, if they need any steroids at that time, that's where I will inject steroids. It's that point of maximal contraction, right? Two to three weeks after surgery. They don't need it then, they're pretty much good. But that's where I will encourage them to start massaging a little bit harder because their incision is healed better, it's less tender, and you can increase the frequency, not frequency, but the, 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 the pressure at that time, and that'll help soften the incision as well. So I feel that the the, the, wor the workhorse of a scar cream is two horse. One is the, the, the massaging effect helps break up scar tissue. There's evidence to not support that. There's a lot of evidence that does not support that, but I think anecdotally it does. But again, research does not support that. Research has support that the silicone and these other ingredients help hydrate the wound and allow for that wound to be barricaded from the air so it doesn't dry out. But I believe that it's twofold, personally. Um, um, and that's not why it works. So when you're applying the product, um, should you see the product when you're done or should it just sort of like, it should not be visible after you're done applying it? It's not a visible product. Check it out next time you try it on in your office, you know, or have a patient bring you with that. But it's not visible, it's clear. Okay, but they shouldn't have it layered on so it's actually sticking out. They should rub it all through. Okay, the second question is, can you put makeup over it? Yes, you can, you can. It's the, it, you, have, you want to let it dry after like a minute or two, but you can put makeup on. Sunscreen, so any issues with that? Is there a sort of... 100% uh... can put sunscreen on, no problem. You can bear it, layer it on top. If, again, if you had the model patient, how long do they use this product for? You know, based on the science, based, based on, because we have those three phases, it says it takes a scar, at least I tell everyone, it takes a year for a scar to fully heal. Should they use it for that full year? Again, imagine if this patient says, I want the best scar possible. I don't want to take any chances, Dr. Zumalin. What would you say? Six months? A year? Year and a half? Two say, years? I would say minimum of six months to really get that optimal result. And generally speaking, you can help yeah, determine whether a wound is healed at six months. How do you know? It's when a wound is completely mature, the redness is gone, the pigmentation is gone, it's flat, and it's white. That's it. It's healed. And I have patients at six months, they'll come for their follow-up. Do I still need to use it? I'll look at them and they meet all those characteristics, I'll say, no, you're good. But if there's still a little bit of thickness, there's still that redness, I'll say, keep on using it. It's heading the right direction, but do it for another six months. 
total one year. Okay, so let's say someone comes and sees you and says, you know what, I had this scar, it was 10 years ago, you know, I was surfing and I was next to this crazy oculoplastic doctor and he cut right. me off and, he, yeah. and I, I fell down and hurt myself. Um, what would you, will Skinuva work for them 10 years later? Great question. Uh, so if this scar is still uh, having characteristics that we described as being red, raised, hyperpigmented, tender, then it's worth trying. The chances of it getting a significant improvement are very low, but the chances of it having some improvement is fairly high because they're still finding that that scar is not completely healed the way it should be. Yeah, most scars mature at one year, but not always. I've had patients that come, come to me two, three years out and have used, not 10 years, but two, three years out and have still some findings that are consistent with a scar not well healed. They'll use scar and it'll get much better. Now, if somebody presents to you and it's an old scar that's flat, it's the only thing that it's, uh, it, it has, has characteristics of not a well-healed scar is that it's hyperpigmented, but just hyperpigmented, but flat. You could try scar, but you can also try skin of bright or some other skin brightening product because that, that's still some remnants of post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation that's persistent. And that is evidence of some inflammation that's still there. Have you noticed any docs using this as an adjunct to keloids? You know, sometimes we'll see keloids in the ear. They'll inject them and put this on top of that. Any, any, any evidence of that? No, uh, I, in, in short, no. I, I wouldn't use this for keloids as the sole treatment, nor do we have data to support it as one that's used post like- uh, Injection, uh, catalog. I have a few, yeah, catalog yeah, or radiation. I don't suspect it will hurt. I just, uh, you know, I, I can, I have to be still have data to support that would make a tremendous improvement, but it's not going to hurt. And if it were me and I had a keloid, I was going through treatment, I would use this product. I just, I like to have data to back up my statements, but I don't. And uh, so any scar cream that says it works for keloids, it's, that's a very challenging um, uh, issue, especially severe keloids. But if it's a minimal keloid that someone's receiving treatment for, I, I don't, there's no downside of using Skinuva Scar, but there's no data to really support it. If they're willing to try it, try it, and please let me know. Yeah, it's interesting because that's it's such a tough thing, and um, and some people think there's some benefit with silicone and silicone sheeting around it. So to me, it makes sense. Why would you not want to have the um, improved growth factor? It's essentially it's an abnormal. Uh, wound healing response and if you can influence the wound healing response with growth factors I mean um, and vascularity yeah. but yeah that's that's an interesting thing that can sure. pregnant women use it and can uh, breastfeeding women use it is there anyone who can't use it yeah there's there's the all the, although this has not been studied in pregnant or breastfeeding women none of the ingredients have been shown to be concerning teratogenic or harmful to pregnant women uh, breastfeeding women and children these are all safe ingredients. So in, in summary, yes, it is absolutely safe to be used in breastfeeding uh, women, pregnant women and children. How, how about with post-laser patients? Have you noticed, um, you know, someone, essentially you're taking a controlled trauma. What's been your feedback on that? We have data to support safety and efficacy in post-CO2 or post-ablative. Um, I've probably done about a thousand CO2 lasers uh, and about maybe a thousand chemical peels. And all my patients after a procedure will, I put them on skin of a scar. And I, I find that the redness gets better quicker, the erythema gets quick, 
fractionated CO2 laser in my office. I use a PCA 30% in my office. When I use my fractionated CO2, I don't go super heavy. I, my settings are mild to moderate. There's no exudation or pus, you know, from the wound. It's a very light laser. They'll scab for sure. They'll scab. Uh, and I haven't, I personally haven't started using it immediately. You know, I'll put them off before the first like, you know, few hours. Once they start getting home, I have them use this product. There's less irritation. I've had less adverse reactions. But I've actually really haven't had any issues with skin of a scar, but with aquaphor I have. Every so often I have a patient call me and say, I was a reaction with hepatitis. And with skin of a scar, I have it. So it's it's safe to use post-CO2 laser. It's, it's not considered an open wound. Um, it's an abraded wound. So certainly once the doctor's comfortable switching them on to skin of a scar, it's, it's a great product. And it's got great healing properties. The same ingredients that help with um, scars, help with burns. Aloe vera, Centel asiatica, same growth factors. Uh, hyaluronic acid helps moisturize. Silicone helps helps keep that wound uh, hydrated. Uh, vitamin C helps with hyperpigmentation and collagen restructuring. You know, erythema. These are all fascinating. How it all kind of. Uh, plays a role and, and, and burns as well. So I, I'm going to show you some. I'm going to sh share this kind of crudely with you, Chris. So tell me if you can see this. But this is a patient, a dear patient of mine. So I'm, I'm going to show you her pictures. Uh, she had uh, essentially a full thickness um, accident to her her chin, and this is her. Oh gosh! Wow. And that is immediately after. Um, a lot of patients after uh, COVID, they kind of resume normal activity and sort of stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to pause this a little bit. We're, we're going to look along the way. Um, and this is about a week after. This is a yeah. week after Skinuva. And it, it takes a while. This was a full thickness. I did not think she was going to get a full recovery. This is her a month after and hold on this is i'm going to pause it this is it's a little hard to see on here but you can't really see anything on there um so that is about um eight weeks after so i i kind of used it similar to how you talk about using it post laser um you know i looked at the ingredients looked like you know i talked to you before at a conference about you know, safety in the eye. And I, I assumed that uh, this was, again, it, we talked about, you know, laser wound, not necessarily being a, a true surgical wound. And essentially, I thought I'd have to laser this patient, dermabrade this patient, do all this. All I did for this patient was have her use skin uva. She's still using skin uva. And every time I see her, I say, hey, you know what, we're going to have to laser your, 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 your wound, your area. But every time I look at her, she looks a little bit better. I'm like, oh my God, well, let's hold off till next visit. And then I see her again. I'm like, we're going to have to laser. I'm like, you know what? It looks even better. Let's hold off. Let's keep. So, um, Amazing. How, how far out was she in that last picture? From the, uh, the last picture, last she is about, that was over the summer. Yeah. So she's about three months out. Um, so she's exactly still using right. Skinuva. Um, and um, yeah. I mean, you have these, these moments. And I think it's, it's hard for a patient, I mean, to kind of, I mean, she's super thankful. She's like, oh my gosh. Um, so if, if you ever have a random person just go up to you and just start, um, hugging you and kissing you don't first of all record that and tell your wife but they're probably like thank you for saving me for um you know with this scar because it is just i mean talk about saving someone's life and it is so distressful for a patient to have a scar and it, it's easy for us to talk about scars as some sort of 
thing that exists in space. But when you pinpoint it to someone, it's on someone's face, and you feel the emotion that that person's feeling of how the scar, not all of them are from surgery. Some of them are from accidents and other sort of traumas. And if you can help improve this and erase this from a person, oh my God, how powerful is that? Yeah, I love these stories. These are amazing. And, and thank you for sharing that. And that's, that's why I started considering using it for ablative treatments and microneedling too. I, we haven't talked about microneedling, but I use it in all my post-microneedling patients. I used to do a lot of PRP. And, I, and you know, it became a little more of a challenge for us to draw the blood, spin it down and apply it. What was the reason why I was having PRP involved in microneedling was to help the skin heal better. And I really believed in its recovery process of PRP. I didn't feel it for my practice, PRP had a long-term effect. Now that's just my experience. Some people would argue with me. It hurts. I felt that it hurts, yeah. But the microneedling is, is, the, is the mechanism of action where you're creating, you know, these micropunctures, you're stimulating collagen thickening, and a PRP essentially aids in recovery, or maybe temporarily or whatever it is, gets the pores and channels and these growth factors, again, help improve that sort of skin problem. Fair enough. But it's just a one-time thing. I think that the longevity of PRP is minimized compared to microneedling. But I started using skinula scar post-microneedling, and... I noticed recovery was as similar to the PRP treatment in terms of the redness getting better, the erythema getting better. And so I now you do microneedling with PRP, uh, with my, microneedling with skin with scar. And the rationale is still the same. It's, it's a great product to help improve the skin from a recent injury. And uh, again, we have data to support it. It's safe, it's effective. And so, you know, it's just, do you have a name for that? Because uh, there's there's a trademark. Sorry? So microneedling with PRP, there, there's a name for that. There's a facial that if you say the word, it's, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say the, without saying it because there's a trademark on that name. Um, oh, right, but right, I'll, right. I'll say, uh, I'll, I'll say the father of, the draw cool facial, not the full version. Um, right, right, and, right, right. And, and, and so right. with this, um, is there a name for the needling with skin uva? Uh, we call it skin nuba needling, but you know, we haven't really, you know, it's, it's one of those, it's Halloween, Chris, we need a name here. So we need to come up with something. Are you going to call it the, you got, you you got these ideas that we're, you know, we're considering and, you know, (laughs) but yeah, skin nuba needling and we've, we've, we've thought about a a play on it. It's all about the scary, it's all about the scary name. That's what people, that's what gets people in the doors. But yeah, I mean, this is where we're at in terms of our product and, you know, safely launching it and just we have, like we've had and kind of now expanding and branching out into these treatment um, uh, options for solutions uh, for microneedling and lasers and chemical peels. And, and we find that it works really well for them. Uh, okay, so let's talk about a couple other skincare products. I, I don't want to bash any products, but we'll talk about some things that patients always talk that they're going to use and talk about, let's talk about the literature because I know you're well versed in this. So I'm going to first start off with another one, onion extract, the name of this product that's out there. I, I don't want any trademarks out there. It starts with an M, um, onion extract. Uh, what does what does the literature show on onion extract for scars? I, I, there's a lot of literature that supports onion extract. Onion extract is actually uh, one of the ingredients I wanted to put in Skidula Scar. But if you really want to use true onion extract, it smells and it's very unstable and it doesn't work well with the ingredients we had. There's other companies out there that use onion extract, but it's not the same type of extract. It's been kind of processed in a different fashion, so it's lost potency, hence the smell. Uh, and in those, there's data to support that those products that actually use onion extract, the data wasn't there. In other words, the data did not support it helping scars. 
So I think it's not a fact of onion extract being an issue. It's the fact that maybe the ingredients weren't adequate or wasn't adequate enough onion extract. You know, you have to have a right percentage of it and the right type of onion extract. But onion extract actually has been shown to improve scars. Uh, okay. But it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't one that I... It's not on the market right now. If you're getting onion extract, it's not clinically available on the market. Would you agree? It's not clinically available on the market, right. And the onion extract that's out there is uh, not effective in studies, I would say. It's not effective. It hasn't been shown to be effective. I've not seen it effective in my patients. Not to cut you off, but I I have not seen it to be effective in my patients. And usually it it makes redness, the scar, I think, prolonged redness in those patients. Yeah, it's, uh, I believe the ingredient is olipurin. It's, uh, it's the, the true uh, chemical name for the onion extract uh, uh, ingredient that is what makes the product, what makes, makes, that, makes onion extract work. And it has, again, when you're developing a product, I can say I have Centella I have Asiatica in my product, but do you have the right form? Do you have the form that's stable? Do you have the form, the right percentage that's been backed by data in your product? And has that been has it been shown to be stable? So, one thing when it comes to developing skincare products is doing it the right way, backing it by data, and that's what sets us apart from other companies. Is that we we look at the we look at medical literature, we make sure we work with a reputable team of chemists, you know, and and we get the right suppliers of this ingredient, the right percentage, and then make sure it's stable. Yeah, sourcing a product so important because if it's not sourced well, a lot of the products, um, especially a lot of the products you get online, Amazon products, I mean, they're cross-contaminated. What, what about um, right. uh, cocoa butter? Thoughts on cocoa butter for scars? I hear patients talking about that. I don't think there's a lot of evidence to support cocoa butter itself works. You know, I, I have to look up the latest literature. I haven't looked cocoa butter up particularly, but, um, you know, there are products like, are you talking about like bio-oil? Now, I'm actually talking about pure cocoa butter. <laughs> not, not, nothing that, just, patients talk about that as a, as a treatment for their scars. I'm not sure if you get that much in California. We definitely get that in Chicago a little bit. And I don't think there's a lot of evidence to support that, but I need to look more into that and okay. kind of get back to you, honestly. It's not, it's, it's not within the lines of a true, well-documented scientific-proven ingredient, but what, 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 that. what about vitamin E? Vitamin E is interesting. You know, it, it's, it's a bit long, long battle that, People that have scar creams with vitamin E will try to say it works, but really the evidence does not support vitamin E helps. In fact, it can actually help mitigate and worsen hyperpigmentation. Actually, there's data support that it does not improve scars. Some data shows that it actually makes scars worse. Uh, the only time the vitamin E may work is if you include it with vitamin C because it helps stabilize it. But for those reasons, we do not include vitamin E. Yeah, I did the little I know. Again, you're a thousand times an expert me on this area, but I, the little I know is I, I've heard it does not help. What about tape? I mean, I, I know that tape is going to be super inconvenient if you have a scar somewhere. Does does tape work? Um, and I mean, how long can someone possibly tape an area for? Like uh, you know, paper tape? Yeah, paper tape. A uh, uh, paper tape. So the whole reason that people want to use tape is the reason why we, we have silicone to begin with. So silicone, the his, brief, brief history of, of, of scar management in the 1960s and on, silicone became available as a strip. And so people were applying a silicone gel, a silicone strip, like a Band-Aid over the wound. Over, and, and they were, doctors were seeing an improvement in scars and uh, diabetic wound ulcers to apply an occlusive barrier. 
And so I still believe that silicone strips are a great option for those that want to use it in parts of the body, such as the breast or tummy tuck, that really have a lot of tension, that they're challenging areas to heal. It's just a lot of, a lot of patients don't want to spend the money on silicone strips. A lot of patients don't really comply with strips because they're itchy half the year, especially in the human environment. They can't use it the whole day because their skin breaks out. They're sweating that area. Uh, they fall off. Uh, here's been they our issues with silicone strips. So they, they tend to fall off. And then the other issue that we have with our patients is sometimes some of the strips have an adhesive with it. So is it, it's a, it's a, it's a product that's between the silicone and the, um, and the body. And then the third issue we have with it is they have to put tape around it to hold it on. And sometimes they'll put, and the tape for a lot of patients, we have about 10 to 15% of patients who have some tape sort of crazy reactions to tape and you wouldn't right. think so. So um, for me, it's not that it may or may not work, but it's the fact that it, um, it's so inconvenient to use. Uh, but if you're looking into the science part of this, it seems like you're not going to get this. You might get the initial part with this, but you're not going to get the long-term you know, TGF-beta-3 response with, with silicone. No, exactly not. And so uh, I think that's the reason why scar creams came about because people tolerated scar creams better with silicone there was data to support in the 1990s that silicone cream was as good as effective as silicone strip fine so now people are using tape well it's going back to using some occlusive device but tape is not anywhere near the efficacy of a silicone based product whether it's a cream or a strip there's no way in fact your um let me take that back so i know surgeons use tape post-surgery, not patients. I meant patients using tape or doctors using tape. So I know there's doctors that actually use tape post-surgery. They'll like really put on some tape and keep it on for a couple weeks. I think there's a role for that because you're you're initially keeping that area completely barricaded and, and, um, you know, you apply some ointment, tape, mastosol, keep that on for a couple weeks. There's some reasoning to that because you're really keeping that area occluded as a barrier. It's a moist environment, but you can't take that off. You know, but you're, you're until the doctor sees you in a couple of weeks. And some doctors do, not all, but some do, but a plastic surgeon. Uh, but people can develop a rash, a reaction to the tape, and that's the problem. A lot, a lot of people can develop a reaction, and so it's it's not a it's not a solution that is reusable. So if you were, for instance, I when I do when I used to do more eyelid reconstructive surgeries. I used to apply a pressure tape along the area that I reconstructed for 24 hours. And I apply massive fallen tape and, and some gauze, you know, the tape would be around the area. And, and it, it includes the area, apply some pressure, it helps minimize bleeding. And uh, it, it, But it's not a, a treatment that you can be doing every day for like extended periods of time. The skin's gonna break down. You're gonna have an abrasion, you're gonna have maceration, macerated skin, it's not good. Yeah, yeah, so that seems like it's not a, uh... A long-term solution and it may have a mixed result and very little science to back that up it's kind of just random facts about scars if you had to pick the worst area to have a scar for a patient i know my area i would never want to have a scar on but if someone said dr zumalan i want you to treat this scar area with this knife you're going to cut it out physically and put a scar somewhere where would be your worst area to put a scar on i think i may have showed you where my worst area was well, it's technically anywhere with the highest amount of tension, right, and mobility. So somewhere that has a lot of tension and mobility, somewhere that you're moving around, right? 
would be an area that really would have the most difficulty in healing. I had one. I had a, a benign cyst taken from my thigh. I mean, it took months to heal. And Skinuva was amazing in terms of help, honestly helping with the tenderness and whatnot. But the first two weeks, I it opened it was because it was such a high tensile area. So it opened up because I was moving around too much. I couldn't, I was operating, I was being patient. So it was like eight, eight sutures. But you know, I was told not to do anything for two weeks. And obviously I did my best not to, but it still opened up. But it healed fine, it took time. But it was the hip for a while, then it granulated in, it's a widened scar, somewhere not visible. So it's fine. But I would say that anywhere that is highly mobile, highly tensile. So you're going to pick orthopedic then. Anything orthopedic involving a joint. and So I'm going to pick a different sure. subspecialty. I'm going to pick uh, CV, the sternum, because it seems like those scars are always yeah. nasty. Like if someone says, can you please, pretty please, revise this scar for me? It's right here in the middle of my chest. I'm like, no way am I touching that. I, I, I may, you know, at worst inject something there but for the most part that's i'm not touching that because that's shoulder yeah yeah mine's a shoulder mine's a shoulder elbow you know i mean those areas are so hard to heal yeah treat again or revive a little background on closure techniques we mentioned simple interrupted closure which means a single stitch which is approximating the wound uh running closure which means one suture goes back and forth almost like a seam uh to spread tension across the entire incision line mattress sutures which essentially means you're going to have an outer and an inner layer the goal of the outer layer is to provide extra um, support so that the inner layer can actually reach itself and become more averted or lifted or raised which is a common concept and desirable thing in scars um so okay there we go so we got a couple of areas there do you think sunlight affects scars in a negative or positive way i would say sunlight definitely affects them negatively. I mean, the sunlight is, is it's, it's, it's a UV, and it's, it's providing photoradiation, inflammation, uh, and essentially you're, you're promoting a, you know, a, a free radicals and, you know, all these sort of, uh, you know, reactive species, oxidative species that are hitting the scar it's becoming uh, red, erythematous. It's becoming inflammatory with hyperpigmentation. It can uh, limit the appropriate collagen structure. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, we encourage patients to put on thumblock after the, applying Skinuva scar. Uh, we have ingredients in there that are photoprotective, such as vitamin C and our growth factors. And, but yeah, you, you should not be out in the sun after with a scar for at least several months, I would say, until it's mature. Random question, Skinuva, how did it get its name? A good question. Uh, you know, one of the one of the most exciting but like challenging parts to naming a company uh, to, to, to starting a company is a name. And I think you and I, you know, I use I use my name in my practice as uh, Dr. Christopher Zumal. So there wasn't much creativity there, and I think I had to really put all that creativity in a product name that was different, that was medical oriented that encompassed like what we're trying to get here as a solution-based company, a solution-based skincare company. Skin was a name that I wanted to integrate somehow with Derm or Skin, Derm Nuva, Skin Nuva. I like Neo, I like Genesis, I like something with new in it, Nuva. Kind of uh, encompass like, Nuva is uh, actually comes from a Hindu word for uh, goddess of light, of, of life. 
And so uh, re- or it could be like a rebirth of life. And that's where I found that name. And, you know, it was quite challenging to find a name that wasn't trademarked, that wasn't used in other companies, uh, that was unique. And so putting Skin and Nuvo was literally when I put those two together, it was exactly what I was looking for. So technically, the correct pronunciation, I, I'm only half Indian, I'm not full Indian here, Chris. So if you had to say the full name, it would be Skin Nuva is the full name, but it's abbreviated to Skin Uva, or am I making that up? Skin Nuva. But U- Nuva is the actual, word, the derivation, right? The N-O-N-U-V-A, right? Nuova. Yeah, in Hindu, I think it's Nuova. Nuova. Yeah. You may have trumped my... my Nuova. Nuova. So that's interesting. Wow, I did not know that. And then, um, wow, cool. Um, all right. So I think I have... I, I, I'm full of surprises today, Neil. <laughs> you, you, you wouldn't know that I, I, I taught you some Hindus as well today, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, actually, I don't speak a, a word of it other than the swears. <laughs> so, so had you named it... Uh, <laughs> Skin F word in in Hindu, I would have been like all over it. I would have been like, yeah, this it's okay. <laughs> okay. So um, yeah, I don't think that would work. No, that wouldn't work for selling either. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I think um, one of the go to products of um, you know also so one of the go to products. I think if you are a plastic surgeon, you're a patient who's getting something in the aesthetic world, or even if you're just getting surgery in general, and you care about your scar, um, not just how it looks, but how it feels. Um, and you want a go-to product, I actually think this is the, the, the product that you would, I, I think you'd be remiss to find another product that has enough literature that's going to support it like this. They have so many things on it, the science behind it, the thoughtfulness behind it. And I think the multi-leveled approach that you, you took in this and seeing that, hey, guys, this is not just, let's just kind of reproduce everything else, else is out there. Let's look at all these other facets of what's going on. Let's kind of um, create a product that's going to be practical, usable, and I'll say this affordable because at the end of the day, I actually think your product is a premium product. And sometimes patients like think that if they spend more on a product, they're going to get, I don't think there's actually necessarily a more expensive skin product, product but it's just like, it's just an overall practical, great product to use. And there's pretty much no downside to using it that I can think of. Uh, thank you. You know, this is just an honest uh, testimonial from you. You know, when I developed this, Neil, I wanted to develop this product, you know, essentially by a doctor for doctors, you know, and that's, that's the reason why I developed this. I want to develop the best product on the market, backed by literature, effectively studied and priced affordably. You know, there's just, uh, that's what we're, we're standing for here. Um, I didn't get a chance to talk about <laughs> your childhood. No, I, I was wanted to talk about skin bright. I was, I was going to talk about your childhood. I also wanted to talk about the challenge here, Chris, that, uh, there's a rumor that the Zumalin brothers, did you know that there's another set of brothers in uh, the world of medicine? The Shaw brothers. <laughs> so um, the next time the Zumalin brothers are in Chicago, um, we may have to challenge the Zumalin brothers to a, uh, a sporting I, event. I, what are we gonna do? Uh, it's not tennis, because I know both of you are like, <laughs> like, we're not that good at tennis. What are you talking about? We're terrible. Yeah, you guys are tennis savants. Didn't you guys both play at like Division One level and all this kind of crazy Southern California? Like, that's not going to... Um, so <laughs> we'll, we'll pick at something right, that's... Uh, I can think of things that I would be good at that would be like sports-wise. Is Parcheesi a sport? 
Yeah, we can do uh, fencing. How fencing? My little guy will have to represent me. My uh, my nine year old. He's a uh, he's a fencer. So really, oh, that's amazing. That's a great sport. That's that's a little too much contact for me. So when he pokes me, now I know what to put on afterwards. It's it's just throw a little skinuva on these little these open wounds from this guy. I love it. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for spending so much time. I know you're super busy. Dude, honestly, I enjoy, I enjoy chatting with you, man. Thank you for listening to another episode of Masters of Beauty. If you like this episode and don't want to miss out on the next, be sure to subscribe right here where you listen to your favorite podcast. And if you really want to help the show out, leave us a five-star review and a comment or possible topics that you would love to hear Dr. Shaw discuss. We love hearing from you. To find out the latest updates from Dr. Shaw and Shaw Aesthetics, you can follow us on Instagram at Shaw Aesthetics and on YouTube at youtube.com slash Anil R. Shaw. You can find these links and any other links mentioned by Dr. Shaw and his guests during this episode in the show notes. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Masters of Beauty. Thank you.